0: Going to continue on with our study in the book of Ephesians today. Um, And I have to say, I I was um, excited to be able to be a part of this. Um, My focus in Bible college was biblical studies, so strap yourselves in and let's go. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to recap uh, just to start off. Uh, We're in Ephesians chapter 4 for those of you who um, may have lost your place. and um, I'm going to go over the, the points that we have covered in chapter 4 leading up to what we're going to cover today. So Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. 1 through 6 is talking about unity within the body. And, and um, he, Paul lists a thing, you know, he gives a list of things that bind us together as one body. Uh, when he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. So he gives this list of things that bind us together um, as one body of Christ. But then he kind of switches gears a little bit and he starts verse 7 with the word but. And that means that it's a conjunction that means that you're going to build on what you had just said But what you're going to say is a little bit contrasting. And so, um, he, he changes gears here. He switches gears and he switches his focus and he says, We're unified, but God gives us all different gifts. There's a variety of gifts, right? And he says, It was, um, it was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now, of course, as, as Pastor Mark covered, this is not meant to be a comprehensive list, and there are several other places uh, within the New Testament where we see other gifts being listed. So it just, uh, he, what he's doing is just illustrating that there's just a variety, a, a diversity of different gifts that God gives to each one of us to operate within the body of Christ. Then we get to 12 and 13, which Pastor Mark covered last time, and and um, he talks about how God uses this diversity in unity to bring wholeness and completeness to the body. Um, he says, So that the body of Christ may be built up and become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So bringing wholeness and completeness, we get there through diversity in unity. This week we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16 in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Uh, In 14 and 16, Paul describes what a healthy and whole church should really look like. So I'm just going to read um, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. If you have your Bibles, please feel free to follow along. does its work. So Paul describes the ultimate outcome of God working through diversity and unity in the body of Christ. And that ultimate outcome is that the church becomes stable and it no, no longer just survives, but the church thrives. The section of Ephesians that we're covering today is linked to that last section that that Paul builds on, the idea of maturity in the church. He began that in in verse 13, right? So in verse 13, he mentions that God brings us to a state of completeness and wholeness, and that's through each part of the church operating in the diverse gifts that he has given to us. And as we are being completed... Paul says that we will attain to a mature man or woman in Christ. So now Paul describes what should change as we mature or the change that happens when we mature in verse 14. He says, then we will no longer be infants, right? We will no longer be infants in our faith, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching And by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. So according to Paul, infants or infants in the faith are tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind. And obviously, um, this is a reference to sailing. And we kind of get this image in our minds, or at least I do, of a ship uh, getting, it's out at sea and it gets caught in a storm. And even we can kind of imagine, uh, you know, there were several references to the disciples being in a ship and getting caught in a storm, and Paul being on a ship and getting caught in a storm. So this seemed to be fairly frequent back in, in the New Testament days. Uh, but we get this image of a ship at sea getting caught in a storm and as the wind and the waves batter the boat, perhaps an inexperienced sailor might easily become frightened uh, he or she may become disoriented and and really just get thrown off course, right? So, what things does Paul say can act as wind and waves in the lives of believers? Paul says here that their their teachings um, and the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. So, as I was studying and I was reading uh, reading um, a commentary on this. Uh, on on this particular passage of Scripture, I came across a a quote that I wanted to share with you because I thought it was very fitting for describing what Paul is talking about here. He says that Christians were realizing already back in Paul's day in the first century church that they had to keep an even keel against every wind of doctrine. The unsteady and rudderless could easily be turned from their course. Now I'm going to take a moment and compare Ephesians to the letter of Colossians because a lot of people um, feel that Colossians is a companion letter to Ephesians. And it's called that because in the letter of Colossians, Paul addresses many of the same concerns um, and even uses some of the same language and imagery as he does in Ephesians here. So I'm going to read to you a passage from Colossians coming from Colossians chapter 2 beginning in verse 16. And here Paul describes some of the teaching and the deceitful, scheming, crafty men that Christians were facing even back in Paul's day. So Colossians 2, um, um, 16 says, "Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food and drink, or in respect to a new fe- or a festival. Excuse me." Or a new moon or a Sabbath day. So what he's saying here is people are already talking to people about what they should be doing in regard to food and drink, in respect to festivals, new moons, and Sabbath days, things that were uh, a mere shadow of what is to come. But substance belongs to Christ. And then he says, "Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delaying in self-abasement and the worship of angels." So self-abasement is like false humility and the worship of angels so somebody is teaching self-abasement and the worship of angels here already and this person he goes on to say taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind so he's this person uh this false teacher this deceitful scheming person is is talking about visions that he has seen to reinforce what he's talking about here so so already back in in the first century church, you know the first generation of Christians really removed from Jesus being on on the earth are they're already getting they 're already faced with all sorts of different teachings and deceitful people who are teaching false doctrine. Not much has changed since then, so as I was as I was preparing for the sermon, I, I saw a video clip, and the video clip was of John Bevere. I don't know if anybody knows who John Bevere is. Um, he's a Christian teacher and pastor. And um, somebody had just posted it on the Internet, and I had come across it. He was talking about what kinds of things would lead uh, Christians astray in the last days, which many of us may uh, believe that we're in right now. So he started off by talking about an encounter that he had with God. And this encounter was prompted by a situation that had occurred in John's life that he had witnessed. Um, I don't know if he was a part of it or not, but just to, to kind of shorten this a little bit, just to say, um, he decided that the situation that had happened was a good situation. But then the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, "No, that wasn't good. That wasn't that wasn't of God." So John um, starts having this. A bit of a wrestling match with God saying, but God, but this happened and this happened and this. All these things were the outcome of this particular event happening. Look at all the good that has come out of this situation. So he said that the Holy Spirit read him to read Genesis chapter 3, when Eve was tempted to eat from the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. And um, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise she took from its fruit and ate so this is kind of an example right here of when things appear on the outside or on the surface to be good that really are not good for us in the long run they're not of god and his point was that in these last days Christians will not be led astray by things that are blatantly evil or overtly evil, where you could just say, oh yeah, that's clearly evil, I'm going to stay away from that. Um, What he's saying is, is, um, Christians in the last days will be led astray by things that appear on the surface to be good. Now I found this interesting because I see many believers that never seem to mature in their faith. Because of some belief or um, something that they've been led to believe, and that thing comes in between them and their faith, with uh, their faith walk with God. And normally, what happens is uh, these people become lukewarm believers, or maybe even struggle to believe at all. Now, I want to give you an example of that. So, I was speaking to someone. Um, probably a month or so ago, about the fact that i really been praying about leaving my job at Northwestern Mutual. For for some of you who don't know, I'm bivocational, so I work a uh, 40-hour, uh, well, 60-hour, paid-for-40-hour work week. Um, and the reasons that I cited uh, for wanting to make this change was that I wanted to find a, a better way Uh, to be more involved in the church, where my passion really lies. And I wanted to have more time to spend with my family. And in the course of talking about that, I said, well, you know what, really, uh, I'll be willing to take a job that pays less just to be able to do that. And the person that I was talking to suddenly appeared to be filled with this righteous indignation, and, and they said to me, well, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to provide the best for my family. Of course, the best meaning the best financially. Now, I know a lot of other Christians who would agree with this statement, and on the surface, there's nothing really wrong with it. It sounds good, right? Providing the best for our families sounds like a good thing. But then we read passages like, Do not store for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or we read, don't worry then saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Amen? So when we say we want to provide the best for our families financially, it seems good on the surface, and many people would say, oh yeah, I want to do that too, but there are dangers in that. And that's why we have to be anchored in God's word and know what God's word says. There are dangers. Working long hours takes away from time with God and time with family, right? So in the long run, maybe, maybe you'll be able to buy, you know, a larger home or a nicer car or nicer clothes for your children. But does that, is that a substitute for you being present in their lives, having interaction with them, spending time with them. Is that a substitute? Another danger, stress. People at work a lot are stressed. And stress wears you down, right? It steals your joy. God intends us to have joy. And when we're stressed, it's hard to have that joy and experience that joy. And then what happens is when you work so hard and you're so focused on a goal, sometimes that can overtake other priorities in your life without you even knowing it, right? So sooner or later, a lot of people that are focused on building this wealth, providing the best financially for their families, suddenly that's a higher priority than worshiping God. Dangers. Things that, are on, that on the surface look good, sound good, but aren't necessarily good according to the word of God. And there's always a reason for that. God just uh, doesn't just prohibit us from doing things just because there's always a practical application. There's always something in our lives that God wants that he knows is better than what we're looking for. So Christians who have not attained um, the level of maturity in their faith that Paul is referring to here will be tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And then he says, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Who are these people? I think... They're more common, and we come in contact with these people more than we realize. Because these people are are people who have either, number one, been, been misled themselves by some sort of teaching or doctrine or belief, and now are very passionate about it and are trying to mislead others, sometimes even unintentionally. Or there are a lot of people out here that... Desire to be someone of importance or influence, right? And maybe they're not even called into a particular ministry or a particular office, but because of this desire, they take steps to get there anyways, right? Some of them even have a desire for financial gain. I was talking with another pastor, and they were telling me that um, they were telling me a story about how they ran into another pastor who was telling them that they were in college to, to get a completely different degree, and they saw a TV evangelist. And when they saw that TV evangelist on, on TV, and they, the TV evangelist was imploring people to give to his ministry, that person said, wow, I can make a lot of money doing that. And he literally quit and became a pastor and made a lot of money doing that. Right. So when I say that there are cunning and crafty people uh, bent on deceiving people, deceiving and uh, deceitful scheming, they're more common than we realize. You think that they would stand out from the crowd, but they don't always. Most of the time they don't. Either way, these are people who are actively recruiting others to follow them. Most of the time, they're doing one of two things. They're, they're trying to convince everybody that they are someone worthy of being followed. So, right, they're putting on a show to make you believe that, hey, this is a person that I need to follow. Usually, they're either presenting themselves as someone of good moral character. You know, like, oh, look at me. I lead such a good life. I do this and this and this. And I've done this for the Lord and this for the Lord and this for the Lord. Or, they're simply just telling others what they want to hear. And I'll tell you what, that's a big problem in Christianity today. People are following a lot of false doctrine just because it tickles their ears. It's what they want to hear. It's easy. Another way that these people recruit other people is by convincing them that what they believe is right. And usually that involves twisting the Scripture. So if you don't know the Word of God, you can be deceived. Because even the devil likes to twist Scripture, and he has done it since the Garden of Eden, right? He did it when he was tempting Jesus, right? The devil knows the Word of God, and he twists it. Not enough so that it's obvious, but enough so that it can lead you astray. So we should desire, according to Paul to attain to a state of wholeness and completeness, the state of maturity that Paul is describing here in Ephesians chapter 4. Because when we do, uh, we as believers will be stable and steady, and then the body of Christ will thrive. Amen? So let's go on to uh, verse 15 in this chapter. It says, Instead of speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him, who is the head, that is Christ. Now notice here, Paul starts the verse, this verse, in my translation anyways, with the word instead. So he's providing an alternative. So instead of being infants, being a tossed to and fro, battered back and forth by the wind and the waves, we should be doing this. In other words, rather than being infants who are being buffeted by false teachings and teachers, now this is, my paraphrase, speak the truth in love, and we will grow in all things up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth. Notice here that he completely flips what he said before about the infants and what's happening to them. So instead of... Um, the deceitful teaching that he's talking about in the last verse, he says, we should be speaking the truth. So instead of uh, sharing and propagating uh, false teachings, we should be speaking the truth. And then he says, in love, speaking the truth in love, the opposite motivation of the false teachers that Paul was referring to in the last verse. So if we are infants in our faith and the things that are happening that Paul's describing here are happening to us, God really intends for the opposite to be happening. Now, when Paul talks about growing up into him who is the head, he's not literally envisioning a body and a head disconnected and we're growing up into him and attaching to him. So don't don't get the wrong visual there. Because when I first read that verse a a while ago, that's the visual that I got is, you know, that somehow there's this floating head and the body's kind of growing up and hoping to attach to it someday. Instead, what he has in mind here is something similar to Jesus' illustration of the vine, right? We all know the illustration that Jesus says of the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, So the image of Jesus as the head here is similar to Jesus as the vine. Just as the vine supplies uh, life-giving nutrients to the branches, the head, through the nervous system and nerves and all sorts of stuff that I don't know too much about, guides and directs the growth of the body as well as every other living activity. Right? Right? So that's the image that he's painting here, is that, is that as we're um, speaking the truth in love, we're going to be connected to Jesus. He's going to be giving us life-giving nutrients and directing all our activities. So another quote that I wanted to share with you that I thought fit here really well, this is um, by Francis Folkes <clears throat> says, growth and indeed every activity of the members is from him as a source and under his direction. The members can be healthy and strong only as each is dependent on him. Amen? So, I don't know if you're ready for it, but I'm going to give you a little science lesson this morning. I had to look this up too, so um, we're all learning together. You ready? Okay. So I make sure you're still awake. Central nervous system. So the central nervous system, the, the primary part of the central nervous system is the brain. The brain is the control center for the body, right? So we have three parts to the brain, the forebrain, the midbrain, and the hindbrain. The forebrain, the first part of it, is responsible for a variety of functions, including processing sensory information, thinking, perceiving producing and understanding language, and controlling our motor function. That's a forebrain. The midbrain is involved in auditory and visual responses, as well as motor function, too. The hindbrain, the third part of the brain, is responsible for controlling such automatic functions as breathing, heart rate, and digestion. That's pretty much everything, right? So everything is is attached to the brain through the nervous system, and the brain is directing every single part of our body to work as it should, whether it be a conscious function of the body, like talking, like language, or an unconscious part of the body, like simply breathing. Our brain is telling our lungs to breathe in and out. It's telling our heart to beat. As we're walking, our brain is telling each part of our, each muscle and each ligament how to move. That we can walk. So, this is kind of the picture that Paul is painting here of Jesus Christ and the church. And it fits really well with what Paul was talking about. Because he's talking about this unity and this diversity, right? Diversity and unity. So, there's all these different parts, but Christ is directing their activities and their movement to make the whole body function, right? So Paul elaborates on Jesus as the head of the body in the next verse. He says, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So from him, from him, the whole body, the source, Jesus, from him, the whole body, And each part of the body, according to Paul, is interconnected. We're all connected to one another, whether we we like it or not, whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not. We're connected. It's a spiritual truth. It's not a physical truth. John and I are not Siamese twins. Although that would be interesting. But then we'd be hugging all the time. We are not Siamese twins, so we're not connected in a physical way. But we're connected, the Bible says, in a spiritual way to one another, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. We are connected. The body of Christ is connected. Each part in here, you're all a part of the body, and we're all connected. And each part of the body needs to do its work in order for the body to grow as a whole. And just like the vine and the branches, every part of the body is connected to the head or the nervous system. And the brain, which is the control center for the body, directs the function of each part. That's why the body is such a good illustration for the body of Christ, right? I mean, if you think about it, we have to be connected. If my body wasn't connected by ligaments and tissues and all that kind of stuff, I'd just be a pile of parts. Right? We're not a pile of parts. We are connected. Amen? And we're functioning together. We're working together to bring life to the body of Christ. So this illustration kind of brings the chapter full circle as the image describes the body's diversity and unity, which Paul talked about before, as the body is one body but made up of many parts. And we're all given gifts, right? We discussed how we're all given gifts. Paul talks about in in, uh, 1 Corinthians, to each one, the Spirit gives a gift, right? So we're all given gifts, not present gifts, but spiritual gifts, all given gifts, which when functioning within the church brings growth, maturity, and stability, allowing the body not only to live, but to thrive. So I've used the word thrive several times in this message, and when I was writing this, I you know, I don't know, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, Thrive, thrive, that the body needs to not only survive, but thrive. Right? Because so many times we're content with the body of Christ just surviving. But God intends for the body of Christ to thrive. So thrive, what does thrive mean? Uh, According to the dictionary, it says to grow vigorously, to flourish. That's what God wants. God, there's life in the body of Christ, right? Christ gives us life. And we can either live life to survive or live life to thrive. God intends the church to thrive. So I believe this word thrive speaks to the quality or the degree of life a living thing can experience. To what degree are we experiencing life in the body of Christ? To the degree that we're surviving or to the the degree, excuse me, that we're thriving? A living thing can survive or merely remain alive or it can thrive and it can flourish. Now, I'm going to I'm going to speak in just a physical sense here when I'm saying oftentimes we're we're talking about survival when we ourselves have physical parts or organs that are not functioning properly or or not functioning at all, right? So when one part or organ is not functioning as it should, it affects the entire body. Right? And so when we have an organ or a part that's not functioning correctly, sometimes we're limited as to what we can do and to the degree in which we can experience life. And I'm talking in just a physical sense here because we're using an illustration of the body. But we're limited, right? So sometimes if something is not working within us, we're not talking about thriving anymore. We're talking about surviving, But if all the parts are functioning well, if all my parts are functioning well, and they're functioning together, as directed by my brain, which is the head, the whole body will flourish. It will thrive. So what does a thriving body of Christ look like? I believe that It would have stable, consistent, mature believers. I believe that's the first thing. Believers who do not allow themselves to be influenced by bad teaching or by bad teachers, but would know God's word, which is the truth, and use it correctly and responsibly to edify one another. Stable, consistent, mature then none of us would ever be thrown off course, right? So we would all continue on our path and all paths lead to the same destination, which is Jesus Christ. We will all continue to follow that path as the Holy Spirit leads. None of us would be like this world, the physical world that we live in, or be influenced by it. As according to Romans 12, 2 we would all be being transformed by the renewing of our minds right that truth that that Paul is talking about god wants to see lives transformed people transformed we we become new creatures in christ right we're not the old anymore we're the new and we're being transformed and then uh in romans 8:29 he talks about god's ultimate goal for us is to be conformed to the image of his son jesus christ So for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So what Paul's talking about here is we're going to cling to the word of God. We're not going to be led astray by false teachings or false teachers, but we're going to cling to the word of God, the truth. And as we do that, we're going to continue to all move toward the same destination, which is Christ. And as we're walking along the way, as we're going along that path, we're all being transformed in the same way into the same image. What kind of unity do you think would exist if we were all traveling on similar courses to the same destination, being led by the same Spirit, knowing the same truth, and all becoming more like the one and only Jesus Christ. There'd be unity there, right? You couldn't help not be unified if we were all doing that. So I believe a thriving body of Christ, first of all, has to have stable, consistent, mature believers. And I believe that that's what Paul is talking about here. He repeats maturity. That's a theme here completeness, wholeness. <laughs> it would be like we we're all parts of the same body, right? We would be joined and held together in unity like the body is held together by every joint and ligament. Amen? We may all be different parts, given different gifts to perform different functions, but all necessary and all contributing to the function and growth of the body as a whole. We need that. We would all be growing up into the same head or connected to the same head which guides and directs the growth and activity of the body as a whole. So as we're operating in these gifts and as we're experiencing this diversity and unity and as, we're, um, as God is working in us to mature us, to bring us to a place of completeness, And wholeness, this is all being orchestrated from the head by Christ, directing all activities and all growth in the body. I believe that there would be abundant life in such a body. I believe that it would thrive as it did in the first century. Amen? And let's, you know, and... Anytime I think about the church and life in the church and activity in the church in the first century, I think about Acts chapter two. You know that uh, the last bit of chapter two that follows the day of Pentecost, because it illustrates what the church could be. It says everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Unity, operation of the gifts that God has given us. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, unity, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, joy. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Growth, thriving, flourishing. That's the first century church. But here's what it's going to take each of us needs to stay on course and not be misled, right? We have to be. Become mature in Christ, not be infants being buffeted about by the wind and the waves of false teachings and false teachers. We've got to know the truth and stand on the truth, right? Only stable, mature, consistent believers can be used to help the body of Christ thrive. So false beliefs cause dysfunction in the Christian's faith life. A part of the body that is not functioning well damages the health and stunts the growth of the entire body, right? The Christian who is stable and consistent will not stray from the truth of God's word, and they will be held together in unity with the rest of the body, which will allow them to be guided and directed by the head. Amen? That's how it's supposed to function. That's what Paul's talking about here. I think most of us who have read that passage and Acts, when we read that, or at least when I read that, I'm kind of you know, overcome with a, ver- a variety of emotions. Um, I'm moved by what happens there. I'm excited by what happens there. And I, I find myself imagining what it must have been like to be a part of what was going on in that church. Have you ever done that? The funny thing is, though, is that we all seem to kind of come back to reality as if it was just a dream or or a fairy tale somebody was telling us. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a dream. I have to admit, I feel as though today's church is not really thriving as it was back then. Now in this church we're enjoying more life than the church, the body of Christ, but we have to remember we're not just joined to the people in this room. We're joined to the bigger body of Christ. Amen. And I don't think the body is thriving right now. I think the body is barely surviving. But we need to see life thrive here in Portview Church. That's so that's what we can do as believers. Amen. And then when people see what's going on in our church, it'll be like reading the Acts chapter 2. And they'll say, wow, man, what would it be like to be a part of that? And hopefully they'll be inspired and, and hopefully they'll be challenged. And hopefully that life will continue to spread from church to church, from denomination to denomination, from continent to continent. Until the whole body of Christ is not just surviving, but once again is thriving. Amen? Do we want that? Do we want to see that? We all have to do our part, right? We all have to be the parts that God designed us to be. We all have to operate in those diverse gifts that God gave us, but operate together in unity, realizing we're all joined together as one body. We're all necessary we're all needed and if we're not operating as the part that God designed us to be and gifted us to be that we're stunting the growth we're damaging the health of the body as a whole. There's a little bit of a responsibility involved in that, right? I believe there is. So right now I just kind of want to end this way. I want to pray for the church. I want to pray... For our church, but I want to pray for the church. I want to pray for the body of Christ. Because we should be impacting society, not being impacted by society. We should be a city on a hill where where people can look up at it as an example. We should be that candle. We should be that light that people see and look to for hope, for an example. So I'm going to invite everybody. But we're going to take a moment and we're just going to pray for the church. And I just want everybody to just kind of close themselves in because I believe that in this moment, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to some of us and say, okay, you may not have been functioning to your full capacity as this part of the church. This is what I want you to do. Or maybe you haven't seen how we're all attached and we're all joined and, we're, and you're missing the big picture and to some of us, some of you maybe God will just inspire you to pray for the church or another person who may be struggling in their faith or or the the church the global church as a whole the body of Christ. but however the Holy Spirit leads you let's just take a moment and let's all be our own individual diverse parts. But functioning, joined together in unity as a whole, and let the head direct us in our prayer. Okay. Heavenly Father, we just we lift up the church to you right now. And God, I know that I'm not alone when I read Acts chapter two and I see I see a church that's thriving. I see life, abundant life there, Lord God. Spiritual life. I want that. I want to experience that. I want to be a part of that. And God, I, I can't believe that you just intended that just for the, the apostles in that first century church. But I believe that according to Paul in, his, um, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, that you intend for us to experience abundant life. You You intend for the body of Christ to not just survive, but to thrive, O oh Lord. And God, we'd love to see that. We'd love to be a part of that. We'd love to experience that, oh Lord. Lord, I pray for anybody that you've spoken to this morning about being a stable, mature part of the body of Christ. And Lord, I I pray that they would feel challenged. I I pray that they would feel a sense of responsibility, that they would now realize that they're not just a Lone Ranger Christian, but they're they're bound together as the parts of the body are bound together by tissues and ligaments. They're bound together with the rest of us here. And we need them. We need them to function. We need them to function as you have directed them, according to the gifts you've given them. God, I pray that they would feel inspired. Lord, I pray for those who, who, who may, may not have the vision that you have for the body as a whole and how we're all interconnected and we're all bound together in unity but functioning in diversity and that it's not just about us and our personal salvation but it's about the life of the body of Christ that we're a part of something bigger something greater and God you, you just want to see that body thrive and, and impact the world in a life-giving way, God, we pray for our church here, O oh Lord God. We pray that you just continue to move in Christ as we are growing up into you. I pray that you would direct all of our activities, that you would guide us, that you would give us direction, not just in our own personal lives, not 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 necessarily just for uh, just in the way of our 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 life choices that we're making, but but direct our activity within the church. God, we want to have that same impact as the Acts chapter 2 church had on the world around them. And Lord, if it has to start with one small um, part of the body, let it start here at Portview, Lord God. And I believe that it has. I believe that it has started here because we are seeing lives being transformed. We are seeing people mature in their faith. God, let it continue. Let it spread. Let it encompass and overtake every person in this church so that we're all moving in one accord, functioning as one body. And that the life that happens and takes place here will spill over into the community around us and the world around us. God, thank you. Thank you for using us. Lord, I pray you just bless each one. I pray that they would be inspired um, by your word today. This is your word. Lord, bless each one today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.